the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Joining me tonight again in studio is Reverend Walter Hoy. You know him probably most famously or amongst the courtrooms of Alameda County most infamously um, as the the minister who was taking a stand in a very loving, peaceful, quiet fashion um, in Oakland at a... Um, an abortion clinic up there, just standing around, making himself available to women that maybe would like to have some last-minute insight as to what they were about to do. And uh, the city of, uh, of Oakland and Alameda County didn't like all that. He ended up spending some time in jail because of his position on life. He's with us tonight talking about a new campaign that has taken place in the city of Oakland, and maybe you've seen them, some 60 billboards around the city that simply proclaim black and beautiful, too many aborted Dot com And uh, we talk about these skewed numbers here, Walter, before the break. Clearly that's got to lead people even that don't necessarily uh, have an opinion on this topic or have never been strongly morally motivated to get involved in the fight for the unborn in the past to hear numbers like that and say that clearly there's something that is dreadfully and deadfully wrong. Absolutely. You've got to ask yourself the question, regardless of what side of the argument you find yourself on, is this, what's your number? If 60% of all black pregnancies being aborted in New York City isn't a high enough number for you to get concerned about this, you've got to ask yourself that question. What's your number? Is it is it 70? Is it 80? Is it 90? Uh, what would, well, how would you feel if it was 100? The, the numbers are astronomically high, and they're astronomically high in almost every state in the union where we have these statistics. In California, it's just amazing California itself could be considered the nation's abortion capital just by the sheer number of abortions performed in our state. We're talking about over 214,000 abortions every year committed here, right here in this state. With numbers of that sort, clearly there needs to be some education about all of this. Give us some insights as to why you feel, based on your research, your involvement with the community, um, what you've learned as to why these numbers are so horrifically disproportionate. I mean, I, I, I think it's clear that, you know, teenagers, uh, young adults are having intercourse. I don't care what the race is. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think we can probably see that as a given. So what is it that's going on here that's creating these numbers to be so skewed, so horrifically disproportionately? Well, I, I think we've got to get back uh, to where, the African-American community hears truth, uh, and, that's, and that's in our churches. I, I, I like to see our, our pastors preach more on, on these subjects, these issues that, that matter. I think we've got to get back uh, to our foundations where it, it's taught that marriage is between a man and a woman, where abstinence is, is celebrated, uh, not just sort of mentioned because that's basically Christianity one-on-one. We need to do a better job of reaching our young people with the biblical tenets on how to live this life. And, and apparently, um, we're just not getting that done. And along with that, when you look at the concerted campaign that is engaged in by organizations like Planned Parenthood, 
who not only have access to millions of dollars that they receive in exchange for the quote-unquote services that they offer, but also millions of dollars of our taxpayer dollars that are going to underwrite what they're doing that allows them to you know, not only do their television ads and they show up on billboards and they show up on bus cards at bus stops and so forth, uh, but even when it comes down to the the strategic fashion in which they decide to locate their clinics. And I, and I would challenge anybody listening right now, uh, just do a Google search. And then when, when the, uh, the information is returned through Google or Bing, whatever you use, uh, for Planned Parenthood clinics in the Bay Area, go to the maps and look at where they're located. And, and folks will find um, a commonality amongst the locations of those centers, won't they? Uh, it, it won't be a surprise to, to, to anyone. Uh, Planned Parenthood, uh, in, in combining uh, with the, the media, which keeps this type of information uh, really away from the public, uh, has made it extremely difficult for us to get this type of message across. And so I, I highly recommend uh, people to really take a look at Planned Parenthood, study their history, understand what they're really all about, and then ask yourself the question, does anybody really have the right to take the life of an innocent human being? is they look at the locations of those centers, they're going to find that there are no centers, no ribbon-cutting ceremonies <laughs> uh, scheduled to open a new one in Atherton or in Danville or in Salcedo. Uh Now, if you're listening, those that have an ear to hear, you'll notice that these are communities that are uniquely uh, lacking a large black or minority population, but you look at sections of Oakland and East Palo Alto and Menlo Park and East San Jose and on and on the list goes, there's where you'll find all of the Planned Parenthood centers. Uh, absolutely. If you consider the, the brand new monstrosity that's being built in Houston, Texas, which is second only to China in the middle is smack dab in the middle of three minority neighborhoods, and that's not just a little tiny corner clinic either. This is oh. going to be a multi-story building. Absolutely, huh. absolutely. That's going to be n- nothing like it. And again, we're talking about something that's big enough to uh, take up three minority communities. And so, it, it, it's not a mistake. It, it's not an accident. Uh, I believe African American community is being targeted. And it's time for us to break the truth. I let the people see the actual sheer numbers of abortions taking place in the African-American community and then ask themselves the right question. These numbers are not hidden. Uh, folks can go online and with a little oh. bit of research know exactly what the numbers look like, both in terms of the, the population, the, the most recent 2010 census, census, the number of abortions that are performed by Planned Parenthood or their clinics and affiliates, um, the percentage of those that are attributed to uh, you know various uh, uh, races, minority groups across the United States, it's easy to come up with a conclusion. Then I have to wonder, Walter, why aren't we hearing more of a hue and cry going on? Uh, why why are we not hearing um, some of these more, uh, shall we say, self-styled, self-appointed leaders within the community, whether you're talking <laughs> about Charlie Rangel of New York or you're talking about uh, um, Jesse Jackson, um, whomever, why do we not hear uh, a public outrage and outcry over what has got to be nothing short of of targeted genocide against uh, black Americans in our country? Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, I think if you take a look at the history, you'll find that many of the leaders that are now pro-choice at one point weren't. 
But it's somewhere along the line, money got involved. And they've made a decision. And, and now they're having to, to live with that decision and the consequences of that decision. Has this become, in, in some circles with some individuals, um, more of a political issue then than a moral one? In many cases, it's, it's, it's a, a decision of expediency. And in often cases, politics has a lot to do with it. I mean, we know, for example, the firm position that the Democrat Party in America, and I don't want to turn this political, but the Democrat Party in America has a very definitive position in very, defending very. Uh, the Roe versus Wade decision and in very. keeping uh, abortion uh, legal here in America and in many cases per, you know, paid for by public dollars, tax dollars. Yes, uh, we also know that the Republican Party has had a plank uh, steadfastly fastly against uh, on-demand abortion in this country going back to the days of, of Ronald Reagan. So if you look at the associations, the party affiliations uh, that an Al Sharpton has or, or any of these other leaders that we mentioned before, they're all Democrats, and they're aligned with a party who's aligned with Planned Parenthood. Absolutely. Um, it, the Democratic Party platform is clear. Uh, you can read it for yourself. The Republican Party platform is clear. You can read it for yourself. And I, I, would, I would challenge anybody to ask themselves uh, the question, is it really anybody's right uh, choice, uh, whether uh, it's a difficult choice or not, to take the life of an innocent human being? We've got to come to the point where we understand what abortion is and what abortion does. You start with one bad decision, and then that leads to a second bad decision. Mm. The first and one of which mm. is uncomfortable. It is unscriptural. The second one leads to death. Mm. Uh, I mean, to t- talk about killing a gnat with a with a with a hammer. Mm. Uh, if you had just made the first decision correctly, you would never found yourself in the position of of being coerced, forced in some cases into the second decision. Absolutely, and that's where we need to come around and support our women, support our children. Uh, uh, oftentimes, the, our women find themselves in a very difficult position, and we need to come around and wrap our arms around them and support them. Uh, the Bible is very clear about that. If you take a look at James 1 and 27, we're talking about pure religion, and it's talking about orphans and widows. Again, we're talking about mothers, uh, children, and it's time that we really take a look at our priorities uh, there is such a, a disparity between uh, what we say we do and, and what we say we're all about uh, and then what's actually happening in our communities. Um, I think our, our women who find themselves in very difficult decisions uh, need to also find themselves just wrapped around the love of Christ by the body of Christ. And I think a lot of decisions would be made differently. Now, if you have seen the billboards all and around Oakland, uh, 60, some told, black and beautiful, I'd like to get your feedback. What do you think? Good idea? Bad idea? Is this is this making folks feel a little bit uh, uh, uncomfortable? Um, and if so, is that a good thing or a bad thing? How do we raise awareness? Um, how do we respond to what some consider to be nothing short of a modern-day genocide going on in all places, the United States of America? Thoughts, comments? Um, in particular, are you appalled by the the um, imbalance of the numbers? And back with more after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
All right, welcome back to the program. Craig Robertson along with me tonight in studio, Reverend Walter Hoy. Have you seen the billboards? They're up all over Oakland. I'm not going to tell you where, but you drive around, you'll see them. That says predominantly black and beautiful, too many aborted.com. And we're talking about this campaign. Let's get to some of your calls. We're going to go first to Will, hanging out somewhere on the 880 freeway. Will, come on in with your comment or question for Reverend Walter Hoy. Uh, Brother Craig and Reverend Hoy, I just want to say, hey, God bless you both, you know. Uh, it saddens me because I've encountered these people that have abortions back to back to back, and it's almost like it's a means of birth control. Mm, it is. In these death mills, you know, I mean, that's what I call abortion clinics. I, I think they put them pretty near high schools also, if I'm not mistaken. Well, they do, don't they, Walter? I mean, they're not only associated with clinics. Sometimes these clinics, I mean, you you can get the the family planning information right absolutely, there at absolutely. an on-campus clinic. On-campus, and if it's not on-campus, they'll actually provide transportation to the nearest clinic, which isn't too far from the campus, and they can do it without parental notification. Yeah, that's the thing you and I have talked about. I still remain <laughs> astonished to this day. If your daughter goes into the school nurse and says, I have a headache, exactly. they are they are mandated by law to call <laughs> the parents and get permission to administer an aspirin. Lord. If, however, the same daughter shows up to the school nurse and says, I took a test, I found out I'm pregnant, I don't want this baby, my parents will insert excuse here, uh, that nurse will make arrangements for transportation to take that child down to a local Planned Parenthood clinic, receive an abortion, and get them safely back home again, and they don't even as much as need to tell you that it's going on, let no. alone get your permission. Now, no. chew on that one for a while. Unbelievable. It's a sad day in America simply because they can't muster up the funds to, to educate and to, to keep the schools open and to help rehabilitate convicts and to get people off of drugs. But if you want to kill your baby, have at it. Yep, you're, you're exactly right. And, and um, I, I would be the first to say, I tell you what, I'll make you a deal here. The 300-plus-odd million dollars a year that Planned Parenthood gets out of my back pocket, well, not all of it, but if you want to say we're going to invest an equal amount with the crisis pregnancy centers across the country, we're gonna we're gonna be equal. If this is all about choice, then let's right. make the choice available out there. As they argue that that's what they want to accomplish, and I'd be happy to say that. Okay, if we can't come to an agreement to cut off funding for Planned Parenthood, which is ideal, then at least say be fair about it. But they don't want to do that, do they, Walter? No, they really don't. They really want all the money for themselves, and it's really not about choice at all. No, this is about big money. Will, thanks so much for the call and the observation. Here is Linda in Sunnyvale. Linda, come on in with your comment or question for Reverend Hoy. All of these men talk about this topic. Never do you hear women come in and chime in about this whole matter. And it's a woman issue. Well, I mean, it's more than a woman issue, but I, I, I don't hear any women calling in on this topic. Well, we're going to write, uh, write that misbalance right here because uh, Sister Hoy happens to be in studio with us. What about that? I mean, that's certainly, you know, if you look at, at a lot of people that have been involved in kind of the front lines of pro-life, it's been a lot of guys. And yet, ironically, just the opposite is true on that side of the camp. It seems to be, you know, the guards that escort women in and the ones that run the clinics, the abortion clinics, all tend to be women. Right. Well, it's not just a woman's issue. You can't have a baby without a man. So to say that men have no right to speak 
is not true. And women are on both sides of the issue. There are women on the pro-life side of the issue, especially African-American women who are speaking up, saying that the lives of our children are being slaughtered and it's got to stop. So, But, you know, I, I wonder, Linda, if we take this a little bit step further, what I find curious is that a lot of, a lot of those that are, find themselves counted amongst the feminists, and you can be a Christian feminist too, uh, maybe not too easily so, might argue someone like Phyllis Schlafly, but you can do it. Where are the where are the feminists in all of this that understand right. what's happening to, to women? Because, you know, the other thing that's happening, not only are, are women having to deal with a post-traumatic stress disorder and all of the, 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 the backside of this highly emotionally charged issue, but 50% of those that are being aborted are girls. Right. Exactly. Right. No, no, I think I definitely think it's a man and woman issue. It's just... I, when I see these marches and all this other stuff, I see a bunch of men, especially in front of, like, a Planned Parenthood in San Jose. They usually have, like, a, a rally or information about why not to abort your child. And I've never seen a female out there. Wow. Ever. You should come to the Walk for Life West Coast in San Francisco, and you can see over 30,000 women, children, and the ladies that run that walk. You know, it's an all-women event. We put it, women put it on, women put it together, women get the speakers. I mean, if you want to see women in force for life, then January 21st, I believe, 2012, be at the Embarcadero at 10 o'clock, and you'll see us. We're out there. We're doing it. You can go to L.A., and, you know, same thing, the March, March for Life SoCal. I mean, you have to go to the places. To see yeah, yeah, yeah. Are. I just think that if they showed up in San Jose, I think it would be more receptive. Do you know what I mean? I think that if a female is talking about, you know, something like an abortion, I, I think a female is going to be able to empathize more with the female, oh. Oh, yeah. whereas a male, you yeah. know, to give birth, you know, it, it's just not there. You yeah, know? especially see, there's a level That's which true. I suppose some women in my say was a little bit disingenuous. It was a guy that right. got me in this shape like in the first place. Talking well, about yeah. prostate cancer. Right, right. You no, know, women can get that. But you know what? But you know what? I, I, I want to say something, Linda, because I, I want to applaud you for the observation. You, you've mm-hmm. caught on to a very critical truth here, that you're right. Women would be more receptive to this message, I think. Yeah. Um, now here's what you need to do. You need to start talking about this. Yeah. And you need to talk to your girlfriends. You need to talk about this at church uh, and your acquaintances who are believers and, and, and pro-life individuals and say, hey, ladies, let's all get together. Yeah. Uh, the more that women do to get involved... In this battle, uh, the faster we can we can win the battle. Am I right? Exactly. And bring your lady friends and go down to Planned Parenthood in San Jose. I mean, I know a group of young women that are out there periodically. So if you can get there, definitely go there and talk to the women, engage them. Um, it's definitely more, I, well, it's more effective woman to woman than it is man to woman. But you need everybody on the sidewalk because there's a male perspective that women can't share. And there's a woman's perspective, you know, that men can't share. So if it's a joint effort, I think if we're all out there on the sidewalk saying, hey, there is another way. Do not go in this building. Do not end the life of your child. Talk to us because there is help. And you just need to know where it is. You just need to know who it is. You need to know that it's available. And, you know. Make the good choice, the life choice for you and your child, and it'll end up much better. And, and, you know, truth be told here, too, that there are a lot of women that are very involved in this. Uh, most of the uh, the crisis pregnancy centers almost oh, yeah. exclusively are yeah, all women, women leadership. Yeah. I think of people going back many years, uh, like Beverly LaHaye of Concerned Women for America, oh, yeah. uh, very vocal in this. Um, 
Dr. King, Martin Luther King's uh, niece, Alvita uh, uh, King, is is another critical, very uh, high-profile leader that's a woman in, in, in dealing with these issues. And, and there are quite a number of other names we can add to that list that we won't take the time to do now. Uh, but that the fact that we need more women <coughs> involved in this, uh, a hearty amen to that. Ladies, okay, now, you know, the, the gauntlet's been been thrown down. Get involved in this. We're going to spend some time uh, talking about how you can get involved and, and what's being accomplished by this campaign right now and maybe how you can get some energy behind that as well, not just in Oakland, but taking a campaign like this to other uh, areas around the country. We continue our visit tonight with Reverend Walter Hoy, founder and president of Issues for Life Foundation. Information on the web, by the way, about the campaign, too many com. That's too many, T-O-O, too many aborted Dot com. Back with more after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation. Again, to get more information about this campaign, you can log on. Simply go to TooManyAborted.com. At one detail, make it easier for you with specifics about the Oakland campaign, forward slash CA for California. So two T-O-O, TooManyAborted.com, forward slash CA, and that'll take you right there. Let's get back to more of your calls in the city of Oakland. Premon, good evening. You're on KFAX with Reverend Walter Hoy. Good evening. Hi, Walter. Hi, Lori. This is Prima. Hey, hey how, are you, how doing? are you doing? I saw I saw your name come up, and I says, uh-oh, that, that, that got her fired up. <laughs> and you heard the previous call. <laughs> That's right. Hey, listen, I just, first of all, want to just congratulate um, uh, Walter and Lori. For the, the billboards are absolutely breathtaking, and they, the message is so clear. And so I'm just so proud of them, and, and, and just, you know, kudos to you for, for, for doing this. But I just want to say that, you know, I, I just want to give my message, and the message I never hesitate to give to anyone, any woman that I can talk to is that abortion stays with you. Um, I don't care how long it's been that you've had the abortion. You're going to know about that. The Lord is going to bring that to you. And I've heard that from Christ, women who are not Christians, that the fact that you've had that abortion will stay with you forever and so but i just want to say that you know there are programs for women who have aborted their children and you know who 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 can come to understand that the lord does forgive and out of some of those classes come some of the strongest pro-life women i am so excited that one of the women who graduated from my class that i have um and i'll mention that later is now the lord has touched her heart and she is now going to be having the same class at her church, and I'm going to be training her um, for next year. And so I'm really excited about that, um, that uh, the ministry that I lead is Jehovah Rapha Ministry for Post-Abortive Women, and it's at Neighborhood Church. So just wanted to say that God bless you, Walter and Lori, and you too, Craig. Well, thank you so um, much, uh, dear. Good to hear from you tonight. I'm, I'm glad they got you riled up to, <laughs> to call in this evening. <laughs> I and stay riled up when it comes to pro-life. I know. Amen. We sure appreciate your example out there. Thanks for the call, uh, Prima. Alrighty. Take care now. Uh, Walter, 
Tell me about how this campaign is being received right now. I mean, it's interesting because you have a look at the billboard, and again, folks can see samples of it on the web, too many aborted.com forward slash CA. I mean, this can be a great self-esteem campaign at a lot of levels. It speaks truth at that level and certainly to the issue of abortion. What kind of feedback are you getting from the community so far on something like this? Well, um, it's, it's interesting. I'm getting feedback from both sides. Um, there, there are folks that have called and, and literally just wanted me to tell them every location so they could um, uh, graffiti the billboard or something mm-hmm. like that. So some very negative uh, feedback has, has come from that, um, the campaign. Then on the other hand, uh, the phones are just ringing off the, the hook. The, the media is calling, the community is calling, and they're congratulating us on the way we're doing it. They like the black and beautiful theme. Uh, they like the, the beautiful child on there. And then the message is really quite clear, just too many aborted. And when they actually open up the website and take a look at the sheer numbers, uh, many of them are, are stunned. Uh, one of the, the big comments that we get is that many folks didn't realize that over 80,000 of the 214,000 abortions in the state of California are medical abortions. And so now we're talking about 30 to the $50 million you know, of our tax dollars being used for abortion. That's just something that just no one is talking about. So when they look at our website, they take a look at all the information there. They're just astounded at what's really going on. You and I have talked um, on the program here in the past about the, this wonderful uh, documentary film that was done a couple of years ago, uh, MAFA 21. Is there a link to that site through your portal? Uh, no, but matter of fact, I, I'll have to put one on there. Uh, we, we've got a brand new link on our website, tomeaboard.com forward slash CA. If you go to that website, uh, the National Black Pro-Life Coalition has got a brand new video that we're releasing for Juneteenth. Uh, it's it's a, a tremendous three-minute clip, and we want to encourage everyone to watch that and, and leave some comments on that. MAFA 21 is by far uh, one of the most important documentaries you, you've ever seen. Uh, Mark Crutcher is a very good friend of mine, and you'll find that this is a definitive uh, a documentary on abortion itself. It answers the question, why does abortion even exist in America? Who thought it was a good idea to begin with? And when you understand the origins of abortion, uh, you're much more connected with our campaign. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and I, and I think to understand some of the, the connection with things like um, in terms that folks might not even know anymore that, that were popular, you know, 80 years ago, Science of Eugenics, Mar- Margaret Sanger. Absolutely. Uh, if, if you give a listen to uh, or read, rather, some of her writings and the positions that she's took, uh, going back to uh, the 1920s, uh, the, the racist thread is strong, it is obvious, it is irrefutable. And then to look at this big picture that, you know, the whole science of eugenics coming out of uh, um, um, Darwinism and the survival of the fittest. I mean, you know, Margaret Sanger was looked up to as a, a, a leader, and, and and certainly cutting edge by the likes of Adolf Hitler, yeah. who looked exactly. at that and said, you know, that fits into mm-hmm. my racist designs against the Jewish population quite nicely. Well, here in the United States, it's flipped, and instead of attacking Jews, we're attacking black Americans. And it's been that way since uh, the 1920s. And again, getting a look at the truth behind all of that, uh, it can be seen in that documentary to which we refer. Uh, if you just Google, I'll make it easy for you, Google M-A-A-F-A, MAFA 
21. Somebody called me last time we talked about it and said, Mafia? I don't understand the connection. <laughs> it's Mafia. M-A-A-F-A. Mafia 21. <coughs> Google it and that'll take you there. Yeah. Um, this campaign will continue for how long and where does it go next, Walter? Well, uh, this campaign uh, really started uh, earlier uh, this month uh, around, I believe, the 6th. Right. And then it'll, it'll, it'll travel all the way through uh, July 10th. Okay. Uh, and then any designs on what city, what community to take it to next, or can you talk about that? I can't talk about the city specifically, but we are getting requests to bring it to almost every city in the, in the state. Uh, so we're going to sit down together and decide what, which city we're going to take it to next. I'm in radio. I know what billboards cost. I know that they don't give them away. Uh, that no, said, they no. don't. You know, you would... Uh, uh, <coughs> You would hope that there would be people that would get a, a burden on their heart for something like this and, and to recognize what an effective tool that this can be in speaking truth on the topic of not just what's happening with, with abortion, but in specific what's happening with abortion as it relates to the African-American community. If somebody out there says, you know, Walter, I want to get involved here in a tangible way, um, they want to write a check or get more information about what you do and be able to donate. I understand that they can do that through your primary ministry website, which yes. is issues, the number four life.org. Is that correct? That's correct. That's issues. And that's plural issues. The number four life, L I F E dot O R G. And just click on the donation button uh, there. You can give online there. You'll find the address to mail the check to. And believe me, um, I can promise you that every cent that, that you give us will be used for ministry. And, uh, again, uh, fully tax-deductible when you do that. So if God's put a burden on your heart and you want to stand with this educational campaign uh, going on through July in the city of Oakland, uh, or to help put some seed money available to other communities since the scourge of abortion is hitting the black community in major uh, population centers all across the country, then, uh, again, check out the website, check out the billboard online, toomanyaborted.com forward slash CA. That's T-O-O, toomanyaborted.com dot com forward slash ca and to get involved to volunteer to write a check and donate and support what walter is doing online at issues plural issues the number four life l-i-f-e dot o-r-g walter some closing thoughts well i i i'd like for us to consider the fact uh that our black children well all children are precious and that our, our future is really in our children and when we when we consider we've lost 15 million children, uh, that should break the heart of everyone listening uh, to us. And then when you can think about over 50 million overall, all the lives that have been lost since 1973, we've got to come to the conclusion that abortion must end, and it must end in our lifetime. And there has to be psychologically, emotionally, certainly spiritually, the understanding here of the tie, the tie that exists between the way, in particular, young black men view themselves today and the message that's being sent by abortion. Uh, I'm of no value. I'm of no worth. Look at how many in my community are being disposed of. Uh, staggering. staggering numbers. It is. And is it any wonder that, that there's no hesitation when it comes to, to violence and the rage <coughs> pardon me, that boils below the surface behind all of this? Absolutely. I was standing in front of a, an abortion clinic uh, in downtown Oakland, and uh, the the husband or the, the boyfriend, the girlfriend uh, drove up. The girlfriend said she just wanted to go ahead and go into the clinic. 
or she did, so I stopped and talked to the individual, to the brother. The brother told me he was 26-year-old, had his first kid when he was 16. This is 10 years now. He says that between 16 and 26, he's lost 16. He's had 16 uh, children, and only 14 of the 16 children were um, alive. Or, or aborted, rather, have been aborted. Only, only two survived. Only the two survived. And of the two that survived, uh, they their mothers had applied a restraining order against him. Mm. And he told me he was no longer a man. He didn't consider himself to be a man. He was completely broken. His life was completely shattered. And at that point, we began to minister to him right there on the sidewalk. This has a tremendous impact on men. And so we encourage men and women, everyone needs to get involved, need to learn the truth, and find the hope, the health, and the healing that's available in Christ's arms. Amen. Walter, thank you for joining us again. Lori, is always good to see you, too. Again, more information on the web, toomanyaborted.com forward slash And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. At the core, we all certainly understand and know what hopelessness is. I mean, hopelessness is owing $1,000 to the IRS when you only have 150 bucks in your checking account, right? That's, that's hopelessness. Wanting the promotion at work at the age of 61 when you know you're slowing down, and up comes the 30-year-old gangbuster co-worker wanting the same promotion. That can be pretty hopeless. You're desiring to see your first grandchild when you have been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer and your daughter isn't even expecting. That can be pretty hopeless. A devastating 7.2 earthquake hitting the poorest town in the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere, killing tens of hundreds of thousands of people. That can be pretty hopeless as well. It's sad but true that oftentimes, even within the church... We have a far better understanding and grasp on what hopelessness is, but don't understand much about what hope is, let alone the notion of being able to pay it forward. Hope Casting is the title of a new book by my guest tonight. Mark Ostreicher is partner with the Youth Cartel. It's an organization that challenges youth ministers through strategic counseling and innovative resource development for youth ministry. He has served as vice president of ministry resources and later as president of Youth Specialties in San Diego, an organization that trains and equips church youth workers. And he's authored or contributed to more than 60 books. And Mark, great to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Greg. I'm glad to be here. Why is it that we as the church... um, don't really have a good grasp on what hope is. We've got a lot of experience, to be sure, with hopelessness. Uh, but it seems as if a lot of us in the church do really have a good understanding from a biblical perspective as to what hope is. And oftentimes, I think we, we end up confusing biblical hope with just wishful thinking. Absolutely. I, I, it's exactly why I tried to start to explore this for myself before I even started writing the book, I was finding myself in a season of hopelessness from a job loss and uh, all the identity questions that came from that and and really wrestled with my, I think, immature ideas of what hope is. I just didn't find them sustainable. I feel like we've been, I'd been told so many times that hope was like you said, wishful thinking. I would say hope was optimism, right? Just put on a happy face and be positive. And I wasn't finding that all that helpful. It wasn't, it wasn't doing anything for me. 
And, and when I tried to start looking at what other Christians were saying uh, in books and things like that, I looked on the Internet and on Amazon and stuff, and so much of the language of hope was only connected to the afterlife, which is beautiful and wonderful and true, but it wasn't enough to pull me out of bed, right? It wasn't enough to give me fuel of um, kind of encouragement for that given day. It's not like I was in a deep depression, but I was in a tough place. And so I started to really search scripture and found that my understanding of hope was not lining up with the Bible. Yeah. And I think ironically, I mean, that that's something that I think a lot of us certainly struggle with, no matter what stage we happen to be at in our walk with Christ. And I think also we tend to apply, as I think you're suggesting, Mark, a lot of secular definitions to hope that, that kind of seems as if, well, if we if we somewhere in there uh, quote a Bible verse in the process, we've somehow brought it back to the biblical perspective. I mean, for example, it's not unusual for people to say, well, having hope, you know, at the end, it, it, it just makes you the optimist. And then people will say, well, I know so-and-so, he's a natural optimist. Okay, so then uh-huh. define for me an unnatural optimist. And how do you go about adopting the, the sense of optimism that a person has? What is it really based on? And I certainly, in reading through your book today, drew the conclusion that, well, you know, uh, whether you're an unnatural optimist or a natural one, optimism in and of itself tends to kind of be uh, built on a pretty shallow foundation. Yeah, you know, and I'm not anti-optimism. I would say I am an optimist, and I'd much rather be around a group of optimists than a group of pessimists. So. I'm pro-optimism. It's just not the same thing as biblical hope. And optimism is helpful in little short spurts, but for a lifetime of meaning and purpose, uh, and it's particularly when we're in difficult seasons, we need something more than that, and that's when hope comes into play. What strikes I, I me about the lessons that you, that you share in the book, and we're going to get into this deeper uh, after we do a time out here, but what, what strikes me is that you, you, you show us through the book that the journey to hope is not just a uh, snap your finger and you're there, that in fact the journey to hope takes us through hopelessness. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. Explain a little bit about that, would you? Because yeah, some people say, well, wait a minute, I, I don't want to be in hopelessness. I just want to hurry up and quick, get me to hope. <laughs> Maybe the easiest way to, to do that is to, to start with where this first started to become a, an awareness for me. And it, you mentioned in your intro of me when an earthquake hits the poorest country or the poorest city in the Western Hemisphere, and that's where, in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, this started to shift for me. Um, I was in the season of hopelessness after losing a job, and just months after that, ended up uh, in Haiti, in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, leading a short trip for a group of influential youth workers three weeks after the Haiti earthquake. And I expected to see lots of pain and suffering, and boy, did I, to an extent that I've never experienced it or seen it in my life. What shocked me, and I didn't expect it all, was the deep level of hopefulness that I found in Haitian believers. And I, it was completely unexpected. We were driving down a busy road on our first day in Haiti, having have to drip, we had to drive over from the Dominican because the Port-au-Prince airport was still closed, and we got stopped in traffic, 
and we saw all this crowd of people up ahead and thought it must be a protest. And several of us jumped out of our little minivan and made our way up to see what was happening. And when I came upon this crowd of about a thousand people still assuming it was a protest, I felt I want to separate from my group and kind of get in the middle of this and try to feel what's going on because I couldn't understand the language. Of course, they're speaking in Haitian Creole. So I pushed my way into the middle of the crowd, and it wasn't until I was in the middle of the crowd that I noticed that all of the people had big smiles on their faces. They weren't, pro, they weren't angry faces of protest. And these two little old Haitian women came up to me, grabbed my hands, and through body language made it clear that I was supposed to start dancing. For <laughs> <laughs> an overweight old white guy, it was kind of an awkward moment for me, but it was compelling, and I knew that I needed to give myself to whatever this experience was, and I started hopping around. I noticed they're not yelling, they're singing, and all of these quick realizations came to me. I noticed at the end of the street there was a, a band up on a stage, and it suddenly struck me, these people are worshiping God, which was completely counter to what I expected, and then I realized these people have experienced more pain in their life than I ever will. Every one of them I came to find have lost people, uh, lost homes, lost jobs, but they have a level of hope that I have never experienced, and that verse that I'd memorized as a child in a Bible memory program from the book of Romans when Paul says to us, we, uh, we have, I'm just blanking on the verse, we rejoice in our sufferings, that's it. We rejoice in our sufferings because suffering leads us to character, and character leads us to hope, and hope doesn't disappoint. And it, and it just dawned on me, these people know hope because of their sufferings. And in their exile and honest expression of pain to God, Jesus comes and meets them and brings hope to them. That was the revolutionary moment for me. And hopefully it's going to be a, a crystallizing moment for our listeners as well, as we're talking about this issue of, of not just finding and keeping and sharing things unseen, that experience of hope, but uh, sort of playing that hope forward toward others. The book is called Hope Casting. It's authored with us today. Mark Ostriker will take a brief time out. Back with more as Lifeline continues.